Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 228, Finance Friday Edition, where we talk to Jenny about paying down a mortgage early, early retirement, and creating a budget based on actual spending. Cancel your Amazon Prime account. I think that it is far too easy to go in and be like, oh, shipping's free, I'll just get that. Whereas if you had to drive to the store, would you have bought that item? No, I don't drive to stores when there's an option. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my young Bruce Springsteen lookalike co-host, Scott Trench. Mindy, you were born to run with these uh, new adjectives (laughs) each week. Thank you. I saw a... The Born to Run video this weekend when I was at a water park, they had a big video screen over the uh, the wave pool and Born to Run came on and I'm like, all I could think of was, that's Scott Trent. <laughs> Bruce Springsteen looks like Scott Trent. I mean, not I'll now. He's he's a little older than you now, but when he was your age, you guys are twins. I'll have to get a denim short sleeve to see if that works. <laughs> <laughs> that's so off brand for you. <laughs> Okay, back to our regularly scheduled intro. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else. To introduce you to every money story, because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate or start your own business, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Scott, I'm super excited to talk to Jenny today because I think she's got she's got her budget kind of dialed in on the fixed expenses, but then her variable expenses are the ones that kind of get away from her. And I think that she's got what she's doing is what a lot of people are doing. So if you are going over your budget and every month you're like, why am I over budget every single month? This episode is definitely going to be helpful. Yeah. I I think it was a great example of somebody who has dialed in every one of their expenses and has a budget, but is not using that budget to control the variable behavior, which is kind of the point. And so I think that's a a big call out that I think is is important and um, hopefully very helpful to her. I do need to remind you that the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal, tax, or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, now let's bring in Jenny. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. 
Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Jenny and her husband keep to a fairly tight budget. In fact, so tight that when spontaneous purchases happen, it gives her a bit of anxiety. She'd like to loosen the purse strings, but wonders if they're in the right place to do that. Hey, Jenny, I'm right there with you, stressing over the little things. They also want to pay off their mortgage so he can retire early to focus on what makes him happy. Jenny, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I really want to jump into your numbers and see what we can do to help ease those stresses so you can buy a pair of jeans and be happy. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here. So you live in a medium to high cost of living area on the East Coast. Uh, let's jump into your balance sheet. What kind of salary are you making and where's it going? So... Um... It gets a little bit complicated. My husband's base is uh, 90, right about 94000 a year, but he gets a cash bonus uh, and equity grants every year as well. Uh, this year, his bonus before tax was 17200 so that can definitely make a big difference. Um, my base, I am a graduate student, <laughs> so... Uh, my grad student income from last year was 36000 I think I'm right around on track for that. That's my consistent salary. And then I have a lot of side hustles and a lot of side hustle opportunity that I have to manage. Uh, and I expect that to be around 20000 this year. It was right about there last year as well. Um, a lot of opportunity. Like I said, I have to manage the opportunity with my time commitment and whatnot. So um, overall, between the two of us, that ends up being uh, right around 167000 per year. Awesome. And what do you, what do you uh, how much do you spend and, and what are you able to keep and where, where is that bucketed? So our fixed expenses uh, end up at 3780 um, and I can break that down. So our mortgage, which includes escrow, so that includes our property taxes and our homeowner's insurance, um, is $1,705 every month. And we put in an extra $372. Uh, we recently refinanced in December, uh, and we have just put everything that we were budgeting last year into uh, extra principal payments. So that's where the 372 comes from. Um, we have a solar loan that we just took on. We just put solar on the house uh, and that covers or should cover all of our electric costs, uh, which includes our heat and our cooling. So our solar loan is $245.83. Uh, that loan is, uh, so it's an expense and a debt. Uh, that loan is 1.49%. Um, 
we do we will have an electric bill every month just for the cost of hookup which is $25 our cell phone bill is about 180 but I'm actually adding my parents to our uh, plan soon and that's actually supposed to decrease our um, cell phone cost uh, pet insurance we have two Great Danes so uh, pet insurance is $189.94. Dog food is $80 a month. Uh, we do get our house cleaned once a month. That's kind of a luxury we've allowed ourselves. And that's $148.89. Internet is $56.94. Um, we only have Hulu and Disney Plus for television. So that's $14.88 a month. Amazon Prime, although it's an annual expense, uh, we have it at for the budget sake, uh, $9.92 a month. Car and umbrella insurance is $207.82 for both of us. That's a $2 million umbrella policy. My husband, we just bought him a new-to-us car, uh, low mileage, a um, couple years old, and that is right now at three oh seven. but we actually just got approved for a refinance uh, at a lower rate and should go down to... Uh, 240 a month. Um, my student loans, which we can get into, um, right now I'm paying $59 a month. Uh, I am not paying towards my federal loans at the moment while it's 0% interest uh, for a reason. <laughs> we can talk about that. Um, so I pay $59 a month for the, the one loan that I have that's not a federal loan. And then approximate groceries and household consumables are Five fifty a month, and we actually put all of those on a high cash rewards card, uh, which has six percent cash rewards. So, if I sum up everything you you said there, how how much is going out per month? What, what's going in and what's going out on a on a regular month, not a bonus sure. month? So, um, <clears throat> fixed expenses are three thousand seven hundred and eighty a month. Uh, I have our spending, which is you know kind of variable variable spending. Um, at between a thousand and twenty four hundred a month, uh, and I can break that down a little bit too if you'd like. Uh, our monthly income, we end up the way we have it is we each have a fixed amount going into our joint account, and then all of those fixed expenses leave our joint account. So we have exactly the right amount, the three thousand eight hundred and seventy. A month going into our joint account from both of us um, but then extra let's see ends up being a you know with a with a very uh, conservative guesstimate on my variable income uh, we end up taking home about seventeen hundred dollars into our personal and another thousand that goes into savings and all of that is after 401k and IRA contributions as well Okay, so, so just to some, so are we are we saving a thousand dollars a month, two thousand dollars a month? How much do you think you're saving after the four hundred one k contributions and those types of things? Sure, we're saving, saving about eleven uh, hundred a month um, just in just in straight savings, not not stock market, not retirement, just straight savings. Okay, and then how much are you investing in stock market or, or other investments? We max out my husband's 401k. As a graduate student, I have health insurance benefits, but I don't have retirement benefits. So we max out his 
401k and he gets a 10% match. Um, so, and that's a traditional 401k that is wow. 20. Yeah. It's that's awesome. It, we're very fortunate that he works for a great company. Um, so annually that is $26,085, including his employer match. Um, month to month, he is contributing $1,389 a month. Uh, we also max out his, uh, he has a Roth IRA, and his Roth IRA is maxed out almost to the penny. Um, and that's $499 a month. And then we are slowly building up how much we contribute to my uh which a traditional IRA that I rolled over some other 401ks into, uh, and we're contributing 166 a month to that. Okay, so, so we've um, got we've got yeah. let's call it 2,000 a month, give or take, that is going into various retirement accounts, and on top of that, 1,000 a month after all your expenses and debts that you're putting into a savings account. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, awesome. So that's 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 really good flow, cash flow with it with, with this. That's awesome. Um, and then what what is your current kind of? How do we get a picture of your net worth? What what do you have in total investments, cash, home equity, those kinds of things versus sure. your debts? Net worth is uh, as I calculate it, which is conservative on our home value because I just don't think it'll might not stay where it is right now um, because of the market. So. Net worth is three hundred and seventy-six thousand. Uh, that's a conservative estimate of sixty thousand in home equity. My husband's four hundred one k is at two hundred and six thousand. He has a medical savings account, which we're not entirely sure <laughs> what happens with that, but it's something. It's a benefit that his company automatically enrolls him in that his company contributes to. That's it. 6,500. His Roth IRA is at 19. Uh, he, he has a, a savings account that is the majority of our emergency savings, which is just under 21,000. Um, and then he has equity grants. Like I said, part of his bonus is equity grants from his company. Uh, and what's accessible, those mature over time. Uh, he has 8,000 accessible now, uh, but 23,000 currently that's not accessible that'll become accessible as he stays at the company. Um, I have an Acorns account, which is one of those accounts that just, you know, rounds up to the dollar. And I started that three or four years ago, and it's actually done really well. And I don't even notice that I'm contributing to it. And that's got 3,700. I have a trust that my grandmother set up for me a long time ago that has a thousand my ira has thirty nine thousand uh i have a savings with six thousand i have uh a checking account that's just for my car uh that's because i get mileage reimbursement for one of my side gigs and so i put all of everything that would uh be just mileage i put into a car checking account so when I need repairs, that has a thousand in it right now. And then I have a kind of side fund savings that's got 1600. So that's where that net worth comes from. Okay. How about debts? Debts. Um, we have the mortgage, 
which is uh, right now we owe $259,500. Our solar loan is at $67,900, but that will go down. We will give a big bulk payment of $17,000 next tax season after we get the federal solar credit of 26%. Um, but currently it's at the 67,000. Uh, my husband's car loan is 15.5. And then my student loans are at uh, seven, uh, 71,400. There's a little bit more, uh, I wanna say about 15,000. That's actually, it'll be forgiven once I get a faculty position uh, after I finish my graduate training. Okay, and and net of all of that, those assets and debt, you're saying the net worth is about three hundred and seventy six. Oh, sorry. Uh, so our net, uh, so our debt total is four hundred and fourteen thousand. Mm-hmm. Sorry, our um, the including value the mortgage. of mortgage, including the mortgage. Okay, the value of our assets is uh, three hundred and seventy six thousand. So, however you want to do that balanced i guess we're at I, I think i think I, I heard you have sixty thousand in home equity um and then you have what appears to be probably about 300 maybe 275 in assets outside of home equity with that um mm-hmm. let's call it 300 in assets outside of home equity 60 75 in, in home equity and then you have what is this uh 180,000 or so in debt that offsets some of that yeah, uh, excluding the mortgage. Is that where you're? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm great. hoping, well, my my student loans, I'm hoping will be forgiven. Entirely? Entirely. What, um, well, well, let's, let's go through, let's come, let's come back to that in a second here, but what, what are your, what are your financial goals? What do you, what are you looking to achieve right now? So our big, um, kind of shorter term goal is for my husband to be able to retire, from his nine to five job. Um, And yeah, that's our big short-term goal. My career is really just starting, so I don't anticipate even wanting to retire. Um, How how short-term is that? What's the timeline for that retirement goal? We're hoping he can retire in 2030. Okay, so nine years is is what you're calling the the short-term goal uh, with this. Um, yeah. Okay, great. And and then you're so. you're saying I'm happy to continue working for a long period of time. Yeah, I'm um, I'm hoping I will be graduating next year with my PhD and then getting doing a postdoctoral fellowship and uh, becoming a, a faculty researcher at a university. And um, the the work that I'm doing has it's very untapped. I think I could I could spend thirty years making a big difference with what I'm doing and I'll be happy doing that. And what okay, sort great. of income is that position? I don't know what a postdoctoral fellowship <laughs> is or what it pays. The postdoc uh, is, is low. Um, so the NIH, the NIH pretty much uh, regulates postdoctoral salaries in under most circumstances, you can get a little bit more um, <clears throat> by going through a private funder sometimes, but why, I don't expect to get more than that. Um, it's fifty six thousand, but as a salary, I would it would be a benefited position. 
and that would be two years. Uh, but the idea behind that, you know, I could get I could get a faculty position straight out of my PhD. Um, but what you get from having postdoctoral uh, fellowship is is protected research time. So instead of entering a faculty position with, for me, maybe a dozen publications, I could enter one with 30 or 40 and a lot more um, research experience under my belt uh, that I could then negotiate for a better salary and kind of already be hitting the ground running rather than just figuring figuring out what I'm doing. Okay, so so I, I, I think I have a pretty clear understanding of, of your trajectory, your position, and all that kind of stuff, absent any changes, how things will play out for, for you and your husband over the next couple couple of years at least. And it's not, the goal is have your husband re- retire at, in nine years while basically you continue with a long-term um, trajectory in ac- academics or academia with this from a research perspective primarily. Um, Correct. And our goal for for him to feel comfortable retiring is really to have our house paid off so that that is feels secure. Okay. So we have and we, and, okay, great. And how how with your current situation, you are paying extra toward the mortgage. How long are you projecting with the current situation it will take you to pay off the mortgage? So if we continued um paying what we're paying now, uh it would be Let's see, seven years. It would be seven years lower than the thirty term, thirty year term. So twenty three years from now, um, so okay. whatever that ends up being. <laughs> but we intend okay, on uh, once I get a you know a faculty position, my salary should be able to cover all of our household expenses, and then we will basically funnel everything that he makes into paying off the house. And okay, so you're currently making how much right now? I am currently making approximately 56,000 a year. And you will be making how much after the faculty position is attained? Uh hopefully around 100, but that should um that's that's my goal uh starting out, but that'll come with fairly regular uh pay increases every time I um if I go from assistant professorship to associate, it's a Generally, a ten percent raise, and then another ten percent to full. And when will that? When will that raise to a hundred uh, occur? Is that one year out, two years out? That would be after a two-year postdoc. So that would be in twenty twenty-four. So here, here's how things are going to go for you guys, most likely, if you do not make any changes until twenty twenty-four with this, right? You you are going to accumulate likely between. Thirty and forty thousand dollars or so in retirement accounts uh, annually with this, given your your the great match your husband has at the job um, with this stuff, you are going to accumulate roughly a thousand dollars a month or about forty thousand dollars outside of those retirement accounts in your um, uh, in in your bank account, your savings account. And you're going to pay off your mortgage slightly in advance. You're going to be on a trajectory for a 23-year pay down instead of a 30-year pay down. However, that math works out in, in in three years with this. If again, assuming nothing nothing changes, right? So at the end of that three-year period in 2024, you're going to be sitting with let's call it, um, you know, instead of 200,000 in 401k and let's call it 220, 200 and 250,000 in your retirement accounts, you're going to be sitting with about 
375,000 in those retirement accounts, 40,000 incremental in cash and a, a, a lower mortgage with that. And then your trajectory is going to pick up where you're going to be able to either accumulate even more in the retirement accounts, or you're going to uh, create a lot, a larger cash position. Now, if, if I'm you guys and I'm thinking through the position with the end goal in mind of being retired, I would be much more worried about the um, other debts you have than your your mortgage payment. I'd be much more worried about the car loan, the solar loan, and the student loans first than I would be about having the house paid off. And the house would be the last component of that that I would be I, I would be personally worrying about with that. Now, I get in the short term, the next three years, there's a lot of uncertainty around how things will play out with at least the student loans. And you're probably making payments on the car loan where that's not going to be a non-factor by the time by the time you get there. But I, I, I think that I, you know, the first thing that I would kind of look into is what's going to happen with the student loans when things end. And most likely, even if they forgive um, 15,000 of those with the, with the faculty position. Um, I would love to learn more about why you think that the rest of the student loans will get forgiven in a general sense with that. Um, and then I'd also want to go through this, this, the solar loan, um, uh, component of this. Cause I think those are huge question marks for me in the context of your overall strategy here to, to back into a nine year retirement for your husband. Sure. So, uh, you want to start with the student loans? Mm -hmm. Sure. So there's um, the NIH offers a reimbursement program uh, for doctorally prepared researchers, basically to entice them to stay in academia and in research. Um, Though the one I would be applying for is a clinical research uh, reimbursement program, and that comes with about a 50% acceptance rate, which is by far and large, the highest acceptance rate you can get with anything NIH, um, and you can reapply. So if I don't get it the first time, I can get it. I can try again and again. Um, and generally, that I should be able to have all of my loans paid off in two years of that program. There are some restrictions. Um, I can't work for a privately funded any privately funded projects. Uh, but I could make extra money by um, teaching, adjunct teaching elsewhere or something like that. So I could, I still have opportunities for my, for some side hustle money. I'm hoping that that happens during my postdoc and then I'm free of student loans by the time I enter a, an academic faculty position. Um, but I think, so you think there's a very realistic decent. chance. You think there's a very realistic chance you have all of your student loans paid off and you're making the hundred thousand dollars without having to pay more than the absolute minimum on these um, by 2024. Which is why I'm not putting any money towards those loans while it's zero percent, because if I have uh, even 50 percent feels like a really good chance. Uh, if I have a, that kind of chance of getting it all paid off, I don't want to put money into it now and strain our budget now when hopefully it'll get totally forgiven later. Okay. I, I buy that. I can't argue with that. Um, yeah. if, if that's the probability you believe that's, that's the right bet for sure is not to pay, pay on those. Um, let's talk about the car loan. Uh, yeah. how many years left on that? So, uh, we're just, we're refinancing it. We're actually refinancing it to a six year loan. It's a 2019 with 30,000 miles. Um, and we can always pay it off shorter. The the uh, refinance rate is 3.44%. 
um, and our monthly will be two forty. Um, and that we okay, just so, bought in April. So you don't need to pay that off early, and that'll be gone by the time you're backing into your 2030 plan. And how about right. the solar and loan? The solar loan we just took on. It sounds like a really big amount, but it's actually lower than our electric bill was. So our electric bill was uh, about 360 a month, 340 a month, because we're a full electric house. So we heat and cool with electricity. Uh, and the solar loan... Um, is a 20, 20 year loan at 1.49% fixed. Uh, like I said, right now it's at, uh, 67.9, but it will, will put everything we get in our solar credit, which is 26% of the cost of the system towards it. And it'll decrease it by 17,000 next year. Um, but and will that affect cost, your payment? No, it'll stay. So they prorated the payment. Um, so we're not accruing interest on that 17000 that we technically borrowed. Um, but as long as we pay it within 18 months, then uh, we never accrue interest and we never are required to pay on it. Do, does, do the, do, do, are the solar panels an asset that increase the value of your residence? Yes, um, but not to the extent that we paid for them. So that's... Uh, that's something that, you know, when you're considering solar, you really have to think about. Um, I think it's about a five to eight percent increase in your, you know, value, but it, it doesn't end up equating to how much you actually pay for them. We purchased them rather than leasing them. I did a lot of research before before making that purchase, um, and it was going to cost. It was going to cost us less than paying our electric bill, and certainly in 20 years, as electricity goes up, um, our our cost will stay roughly the same, uh, and leasing would have cost us more. And what is that monthly payment again? I can't Two, find my note 245. on that. Two forty five. Two forty five. Okay. So so it it doesn't sound like paying off the the loans early makes sense outside of the mortgage. The mortgage is probably your highest interest rate debt. And if your goal is to become debt free and you're not thinking about the solar loan as a debt, you're thinking about it as your electricity cost. Pretty much. Yeah. And that's, that's really why we felt comfortable doing it. I mean, that's a, a huge loan. It felt like a real burden if, if we didn't feel like we were really being positively impacted by it. But like I said, it costs less than our electric costs. Okay. So, so look, if, if you do nothing, um, but continue on the trajectory that you you've got by the end of nine years, you will accumulate 400, $500,000 in contributions to your retirement accounts. You will likely have eliminated your car loan and student loan and have chunked down your mortgage considerably, probably let's call it in the Hundred and fifty thousand, hundred and fifty to one hundred eighty thousand dollars remaining um, with after the act, extra payments. I don't know if that back of the Mac in math is actually accurate at all, but let's call that the. Let's pretend like that's the reality uh, for, for for purposes of this discussion. With that, you'll also have accumulated um, about a hundred thousand dollars in cash outside of the retirement accounts um, that you could apply to other other investments with that. So I think the question, and that, that would in, increase your net worth by, let's call it five to $800,000 with this, right? So we're, we're approaching a million there. Do you feel yeah, like that's I, a good position to achieve your goal from? Yeah, um, I we feel pretty comfortable with that because then 
then the retirement will just coast until we're ready to use it. Uh, hopefully, I'll be in a position to uh, that will have a pension. Um, may or may not. We're not banking on it, but it'd be great if it did. Um, and then the other the other thing that we're not really talking about is my husband's cash bonuses, which uh, we put into savings. Uh, and his equity grants, which mm-hmm. he projects by the time he would retire, he would have between seventy and a hundred thousand available to him to take out, which we would then like to use for uh, investment properties. Okay, great. So, so to me, I, I I think the you know your trajectory backing into a nine year financial goal seems sustainable and, and, and appropriate. There's a number of, I think, tactics that we can go through bit by bit, but like, I think you had a great approach to handling your, your loans, um, with that based on what, based on how I understand the situation. Um, you know, I, you have a complicated set of assets, uh, at, at relative to your, your, the, the, to- the amount of the assets in there. So there's probably some simplification that might be helpful for you guys, but, I think we described a fundamentals-based approach that is going to get you to your goal in nine years very easily, I think, especially if you continue, if the if the backup plan is long-term, you're going to continue to work, fund all family expenses, and, and build a, a pension program with that. You know, I don't think, based on my initial instincts on this, that you're going to have to do much more or really tighten the ship that much in order to back into that that and end goal there. I think you're going to get there very comfortably would be my guess, you know, barring market conditions and all that kind of other stuff that, that we can't predict. But like, even if we're assuming 0% returns, you're there just from the contributions with that. If we get seven to 10% returns on the investments, you're, you're, you're going to be substantially beyond that million dollar range. So I, I, I guess that's my, how do you, how do you feel about that initial reaction to it of like, I yeah, think... good job. I think you're on track. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Uh, we really, I mean, historically speaking, we come from, my husband and I come from different kind of financial backgrounds. My my parents um, lived very frugally because they had to when I was a kid. Uh, and so I tend to just have a lot of anxiety about spending. Um, you know, I grew up where we went, we got pizza once a month and Maybe once a month we went to the movies and that was the extent of our, you know, kind of fun spending. Um, and so I definitely, I struggle a little bit. And so that definitely helps me. The The one thing that I would love to talk about is if there's anything we could do to make it so that if my husband wants to, that he could retire sooner. Basically, he's got a great job and it's working well for us and for our future. Um, but he would be happier (laughs) and we're hoping that he can kind of stay home with future children, um, in a effort to support my career in addition to supporting them, uh, opening up that freedom sooner would be nice, not necessary, but it would be nice. What's your total expenses again? Is it do we say it was five thousand a month? Uh, fixed expenses are uh, three seven, uh, and then spending is somewhere between one and two and a half. 
yeah. I mean, I, I think that the biggest thing in your financial position is your job. And when you graduate and finish the two-year program with that and your student loans are gone and you're making a hundred grand a year, that would, based on my what I'm seeing here, cover all family expenses and allow you to continue uh, a significant amount of investing. So the game is over from that perspective. If, if that's truly the plan to just work for another 30 years at the, at the, um, postgraduate or the, the in, in, in your career with this, um, then game over that that's, that's the moment in time. I, I would say after you sit on that for a year, you'll probably have your answer about whether you can do that earlier or not with it. Okay. Um, from, from, from my seat. If you're finding yourself in trouble at that point, that's when you're going to have to go back and say, how do I eliminate more of my expenses? How do I increase income? How do I get assets outside of those retirement accounts that can produce free cash flow right now? But you don't need to do that if your plan is to stay in, in, in the job for a very long period of time yourself and those projections of that income level come true because that will that will be all of the realized income that you need and everything else can go into the tax advantaged side of things with that. And you, you can be at Coast Fi probably within three, four, five years. Um, certainly, I would imagine by nine, within nine years, barring a economic catastrophe nationwide or something like that. But that would be, that would be how I'm, how I'm reading your situation with this is game game will be over when, if, if the events that you just said happen and you're able to get that, um, 50, 50 shot that goes well, and you've got the, the student loans forgiven and the hundred thousand dollar a year job in 2024, I think you might find that it's game over right there and that he can, he can stop right then. Yeah. I, that's how I'm seeing it too, is that once you have your full-time position, he, I mean, if he works another year, you bank all of his salary, all of that sweet 10% 401k match, which is awesome. And, you know, at that time, reevaluate, you said that's 2024. So that's, uh, what, two and a half years from now, Yeah, roughly three years, roughly two, um, 2024 is probably is the soonest, uh, but I don't anticipate doing more than two years of a postdoc. So, okay. Yeah. I think that that has huge, that will open up huge numbers for you when you're able to not only pay for all of the household expenses through your salary, but also save your part of your income and save his entire income. You'll just watch your, your net worth jump so high. Um, I and Scott and I both are on the, hey, we prefer not to pay off a mortgage early, especially when you have a 2.25% interest rate, which is, I'm not at your house. I'm not paying your bills. So, you know, that's really easy for me to sit here and say, but what my husband and I did when we were in the same position, we're like, well, we've got such a low interest rate. We don't want to pay it off. We just saved that amount in an account that was easily accessible. So if we needed to pay it off, we could, but we could also use that money for other things. We essentially had just a really big emergency fund. And eventually we decided, you know, his job's secure at the time he had a job. My job is secure. We're just going to take this money and put it in the stock market and see what happens because we can continue to both both of us could continue to pay off our mortgage to that point as well. Like you're paying extra on the mortgage right now. If you stop paying extra 
um, in, in on that in three years when all these other events that you're backing into take place, then your mortgage is going to be 1700 bucks. And again, like that point, you can probably cover all of the expenses very easily on one, on that $100,000 income, um, with this, if you're not paying the extra on that and then allocate the, the additional, how you, as you will. So I don't think necessarily think you have to wait until the mortgage is paid off or pay it off in order to back into the goal of having your, your husband retire early with this, um, okay. uh, with yeah, that, that's, I think if- that's been a topic of discussion. Uh, I think it's more of a, uh, an emotional kind of stress response of wanting the house to be paid off. Um, you know, I've mentioned a couple of times that it's really cheap debt that we got a great interest rate and, you know, we're not paying a ton for it. Um, but I think it's a comfort thing more than anything. I like, Mindy, your the way you guys did it. I do like having having that the idea of having that money, even though it's not, you know, directly towards the mortgage. And now the money is with our mortgage company. Um, but having it so that if we wanted to pay off the mortgage tomorrow, we could. But we could also use it for other things. And yeah, because once it. you give it to the mortgage company, they're not going to give it back. That <laughs> not extra a 2%. <laughs> that extra 370 that you are giving them, they're like, thank you very much. And I'm hoping that you are making sure that it's marked as principal pay down instead of, because sometimes they'll be like, oh, I'll just put that towards interest. No yeah. thing. Um, really, yeah. Yeah. The app is because, pretty clear. Oh, good, good. Yeah. I was very... Um, very much on the, we should pay off our mortgage. I want to be debt-free. And then my husband ran some numbers because he didn't want to pay off the mortgage. I'm like, why would you not want to be debt-free? But when you run the numbers, and Scott, this would be something good for you to do uh, with your Excel spreadsheet brilliance. Um, run the numbers and see what could I get having this mortgage and paying it off early at this, you know, 2% interest, or what could I do if I paid the minimum payment on my mortgage and invested that at 7%, at 9%, at 3%. I mean, if you invested at the amount that you're, that you're paying towards interest, you're still coming out ahead by not paying off your mortgage early. But again, I'm not at your house, Jenny. I'm not paying your bills. And I'm not talking to your husband who may have these, these, you know, issues from, from childhood. And I, I say issues like that's a bad thing. Having no debt is awesome. That's like, that's not a bad thing. There's just more beneficial things you can do with that money if you don't give it to the bank who's holding your mortgage in my opinion. So, you know, that's something to have a conversation with. Um, I would love, Scott, I am actually going to throw this out there on the air. So now you have to do it. Um, make a really quick mortgage calculator Excel spreadsheet, and we will link to that in the show notes here. So you can just see what, not mortgage calculator, see what it, you know, this money invested at this percent is this much more over time. And sometimes it makes sense to have a mortgage for 30 years. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're, if you're saying, Hey, I want to pay off the mortgage in nine years, which is what I'm hearing as, as one of the goals, right. Uh, with that coming into the call is, is I want to accelerate that to nine years, um, to, to get, to get done with that. What's the most efficient way to get into that? Right. Well, here's how I would approach it. If, if that was the goal, I would say, I'm not making the extra 
principal payment. I'm taking the $400 a month or five grand a year. What, you know, I'm rounding a little bit there. Um, and I'm investing that in an index fund or something like that. And I have an average chance at getting about a 10% return on that money. So that's 500 bucks per year. Um, on the first one, then I add another five, 5,000, I've got 1150, I get, you know, um, uh, uh, 10% on that about 1,150, so on and so forth. And, and, and that compounding each year on, on top of the thousand dollars that you're already saving towards your emergency reserve, you'd imagine that after nine years of compounding, maybe that's the whole mortgage that you could liquidate and then pay off all in one chunk. Now you're taking market risk with that. The market could tank, but odds are, um, and uh, at least in a long-term historical perspective, that you would have a much faster timeline for paying down that mortgage because you're putting all of that into investments and then can choose at the end to liquidate and pay down the mortgage instead of paying essentially a zero, you know, uh, um, uh, um, uh, you know, arbitraging the, the the small amount of interest that you're going to pay over the, the what what is that three point four percent that we said? So you're getting that arbitrage on average. It can always go south with the market, but you know, as can real estate values, as can you know, up or down. So you're taking the same risk. It'll feel different um, uh, on your mortgage versus the stock market with that. But your your house could implode in value over those nine years or go up in value the same way that the stock market could. Um, with it. So that would be one way I would, I would think about it in an average scenario, um, would be to just put it all towards the after tax brokerage account and then decide at the future date if you want to liquidate and pay down the mortgage in gigantic chunks after letting them compound in the investments for some time. While realizing that past performance is not indicative of future gains and your investments could lose money in the short term. But Absolutely. if you look at the overall market, it goes up and to the right. It's like a bumpy ride, but it's up and to the right. Um, it's, it's about I making would, the, the set of bets that you think is most appropriate and distinguishing that from the outcome. The right the, to me, I, I think about it in purely mathematical terms. And I'm totally fine with getting hosed on the stock market side of things because I believe I'm making the mathematical bet with the approach that I outlined there. But not everybody can is wired that way and can handle that enormous risk that, that I'm, that I'm, I'm putting in there, but you know, yes, at the same time, Scott, it, 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 yeah, yeah, not everybody is wired like you. Um, <laughs> so I would invite you and your husband to listen to both episode 120 of the money podcast and 153. And that is 120 is Michael Kitsis and 153 is Bill Bengen who invented the 4% rule. Um, the, it, Basically, in a nutshell, both of those episodes say that when you invest and you're planning on your um, your investments to cover you for 30 years while taking out 4%, adjusting for inflation, in almost every scenario, the starting balance that you have at year one is lower than your ending balance in year 30. There was one or two years that it went below the starting balance and one year that it went to zero. And that was when you retire with no other additional sources of income at a period of super high inflation. So both of those men can say it much more eloquently than I can, but it's a really good, both of those episodes were among my favorites because they just explained the 4% rule 
and the safe withdrawal rate so easily. And you guys are going to be well on your way to your nest egg. And, you know, the bet, the, the good thing about this is presumably your husband will be able to go back to work should some catastrophic thing happen and he needs to generate more income. And that's the great thing about early retirement. You still have the option to go back. He'll be what, like 40 or something in his 40s when he retires. So that's still employable. Um, employers don't really start shunning you until you've got gray hair and you're like 60. So, you know, if he needs to to go back and generate some income for a couple of years, it seems like he would be able to based on, you know, knowing your numbers and watching your expenses. See, you don't get to this point of early retirement and then say, I'm never going to look at my numbers again. Like, I don't know any early retirees who are like, yeah, I just let it ride and I don't even look ever. Um, they're all nerds who are always in their spreadsheets and always looking at their numbers. My husband has been retired for three years. He wakes up every morning, goes downstairs and opens up all the accounts and looks at everything, which doesn't really have a lot of change from yesterday, but he does it anyway every <laughs> single day. And good for him. I don't look, but I'm also not retired. Um, but I mean, you will always have your your mind on where that money is and where it's at in relationship to, you know, what's going on in the world and, and where you need it to be. So um, I think you're doing great. And I think you're going to have a great financial future filled with early retirement. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters. Landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with a digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? Rent app, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app slash landlord. That's rent.app slash landlord. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. The BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. 
BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? I know, it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Now let's go back to that. I get the heebie-jeebies when I'm spending money. You are putting away at least $1,100 a month into a savings account. I would love to see a fun money account where you take and you put $50 a week or $50 a month or whatever. So when you need a new pair of jeans, you can go out and buy it from that fun money account and not worry about it. When you just don't feel like cooking and you're like, hey, let's go out to dinner, you pull it from that fun money account and you don't worry about it. And whatever that amount looks like to you, talk to your husband, You know, come up with an idea that this is great. Or hey, this whole month, we're just going to put $1,000 into our fun money account and now everything's going to be fine. Yeah, that's that's really where I think short-term, we I... I struggle. Uh, what we've learned is it's uh, for both of us best to just we put everything away before it ever shows up in our you know checking accounts. Uh, so savings goes in before it ever you know we have all of the direct deposits in our our w twos. But um, the struggle that I have is most of our you know, outside other spending is from my hustle incomes. And some month, some weeks it's nothing. And some weeks it's $5,000. And so those aren't really things. And one of them is 1099. So those aren't really things that I can shove away before I ever see them. Um, and so it, it just ends up in my checking account. And then Sometimes we say, oh, we want to do X, Y, and Z with the house. I have $4,000 coming in next month, and it's too easy to even spend it before it even, before it's even, the check has even arrived in the mail. Um, having like, 
I, I wish that there was an easier way for me to basically have the envelope uh, system <laughs> uh, when my when my my money is just so variable. Luckily, my base covers all of our fixed expenses. It's everything outside of that. So I think that's where a lot of my anxieties come from from month to month is it's I, I like everything to be I love spreadsheets. <laughs> I like everything to be clear and easy to look at and manage. And when it's that variable, I, I don't really have that. I haven't figured that out yet. So it sounds, it sounds like there's a good chunk of spending that we didn't cover that is happening outside of that umbrella that you walked us through that is highly variable. Is that right? Well, that's that's that 1000 to 2500 a month um, that, you know, is all within our income. It's just, you know, Sometimes I look at my Amazon account and it's within that thousand to twenty five hundred, but why did I spend a thousand dollars this month? I don't even remember what that was. And what could I how could I have reined that in so that I could put five hundred of it towards what Mindy's saying, which I love, a fun money account. But I really want to be intentional about it. Why can't I be intentional about these things? Cancel your Amazon Prime account. I think that it is far too easy to go in and be like, oh, shipping's free. I'll just get that. Whereas if you had to drive to the store, would you have bought that item? No, I don't drive to stores when there's an option. (laughs) (laughs) So cancel. I have a huge problem paying shipping costs because I have an Amazon Prime account. So why would I pay for it when it's free? Which makes me go back to Amazon. Uh, Lowe's is another one that's... uh... You know, it's it's not as easy as Amazon, but it's too easy. You know, we're home improvement people. We go to Lowe's, we go to the checkout. Why is it $400? I don't understand. Yeah, exactly. So when you cancel that, it makes you think about it. Do I want this enough to pay $5 for shipping? Maybe I can go to the store. Maybe I just don't need it all together. Um, I suggested that a few weeks ago on another episode. Um, canceling your Amazon account when you get to the point that you're like, why did I spend so much money at Amazon this month? See what happens when you don't have free shipping. Are you still willing to? I mean, maybe you don't care about free shipping. That's definitely the reason why I spend so much on Amazon. It, it, it sounds like they, they they have a budget, but they don't really have a budget. That's that's your that's your that sounds like the problem, Jenny. Is is you you track all of your expenses very thoroughly on all of what you call the fixed categories, but then you have this whole other section that's the wild west in your, in your household with that, and that is the purpose of the budget with that. And so I think I think you should go. Maybe you should think about going back to basics in addition to Mindy's great suggestion about you know canceling you know making it harder to uh, to do the things that that are the the really big leaks in your budget. But if you if you put that together and say no, we've got $1000 and that's allocated across fund money, eating out and lows or whatever you know and and miscellaneous with that and that's it, right? And that's all we're going to be able to spend for this um each month or 1200, right? Or or somewhere in the middle between that 1000 and 2400 that's sustainable for you. Then you can, can get control of those types of things. But I think I think you're missing a big part of the formal benefit of the budgeting process or the way you've constructed things because you're so disciplined and have it nailed in on each one of those line items you walked us through earlier. But then you have this whole other section that's really 
a, a major percentage of your, your spending that you don't have control over with that. So you're still missing the fundamental benefit of the budget process is what I'm observing. Yeah, I'd, um, I would agree. And even when I look at my spreadsheet, um, and I have other spreadsheets that I you know, track all of our spending from month to month, but I do it after the fact. And then I think, oh, why? <laughs> and I go back and I say, why did we spend $50 on I don't know what? And uh, I don't even remember where it ended up in our house. Um, so, yeah, I to- I agree 100% on that. It's it, and, and you can play and games then, with that, too for yourself where you can say, Hey, I'm just going to use a secured credit card or a credit card that has a limit of 500 or a thousand dollars or whatever with that. So that I can't Mm -hmm. go past that limit, um, with that, if, if your system won't allow you to track it, but those, those would be ways to do it. Like, Hey, we're each going to get a $500 limit credit card or a $500 secured credit card or whatever that is for, for this fund money spending. That could be one, one tip or trick with that. I haven't tried it, but, um, right. And it's all, it's all me. I, you know, I'm the one who buys all the house stuff. Uh, my husband will say, Oh, we need X and then I'll go and buy it. Uh, he doesn't really, you know, I think it's like $250 a pay period that ends up in his checking account. He doesn't really have, he doesn't do much in terms of spending. Um, and most of the time it's, for me, it's house stuff. Uh, so I have thought, um, yeah, I don't know. And a lot of the time, I think part of it is, well, we work hard. We can do this. You know, I think a thousand to two thousand or twenty five hundred isn't horrible for our income, but I don't want that to be where it's going. I don't want it to just be going into who knows where. I'd rather it be, you know, going into something intentional that we uh, then enjoy or remember and then the rest of it going towards our goals i think i think you, you think with the end the end in mind right nine years from now you're you want your husband to be able to retire and in four years from now you want to be in a position where you're making the hundred thousand dollars that the student loans paid off and that position capable of at least giving you the option of allowing him potentially to retire early in advance of the mortgage being paid down you won't have the mortgage paid down in three years unless something dramatic changes with that, but you could have it done in, in nine, um, with that. And so in that context, what is an acceptable amount for your family to spend on that between 1000 and 2,400 seems very reasonable. Do you want it closer to a thousand? Do you want it closer to 2,400? But you're not in, it sounds like your, your fundamental thing or what's causing you anxiety in the short run is you're not in control of that amount. And that to me says, Hey, that's going back to basics. You, you, you think you have a strong budget and you came in real strong with all those things, but I think you're missing a big chunk of that budgeting process and the variable side of things and using that to actually control your day-to-day spending. Go ahead, Mindy. I have a solution. So I just made a video. It came out last week. Uh, we're recording this in advance. What came out several weeks ago. Uh, if you go to biggerpockets.com slash Mindy Method, M-I-N-D-Y-M-E-T-H-O-D. You will get a video from me that is called How to Budget and Track Expenses Successfully. And if you've listened to the show before, you've heard me talk about how I wrote down everything on a piece of paper and I'm watching it 
every single expense, every time a dime comes out of your pocket, you write it down and you add it up as you go. And what you'll discover is you have little triggers that are little uh, things that are where you spend your money. For me, it was the grocery store. I was going to the grocery store literally every single day. And then, you know, you just go in for one thing, but you come out with like five, which is no big deal. But every single day that adds up a lot. So Amazon might be your trigger and maybe deleting or canceling your Amazon Prime will make you think more about what you're spending. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe you're just going to end up spending money on shipping that you didn't have to do before. But I think that that could be like, I know personally, I would never spend money on shipping. Like what a cheap, right. so cheap. I'm a bargain. I'm a bargain. You know, and that's part of what, what gets me is if I see a, a sale rack, I, it's easier for me to buy stuff that I wouldn't otherwise buy, but I don't, I don't generally go to stores. That's not really where I'm spending money. It is, um, Amazon or projects that we go to Lowe's for and it ends up costing more than we expect or, you know, those those kinds of things. I did try to rein in my grocery budget, you know, six months ago. I had no idea how much I was spending on groceries. Um, and so we do, we don't have delivery where we are, uh, but we do one of those uh, programs where you pick all your stuff out online, they pack it for you, and then they load it into my car when I show up. And that seems to help a lot. So another thing to think about, just like you did with your groceries, by the way, that's fantastic that you were able to rein that in. You looked for a solution and you found that. And I think that's a real uh, strong suit of yours is being able to, okay, I don't want to spend that much in this category. I'm going to figure out a way to, to reduce that. I, uh, you, you look at the different options available and you make the best choice. The solar loan sounds very shocking. We didn't say how much your electric bill was. Um, when you applied, you said it was $460 a month because your whole house is heated and cooled by electricity, which gives me the heebie-jeebies because it was natural three, gas is... 360, but it's still significant. Oh, 360. That's... Yeah. Okay, that's a little bit better, but that's still like, that's a lot of money. Well, and I, I only think anticipate it, was, it to go up. Also, exactly, exactly. It's not nobody's going to just reduce. Hey, do you want to pay less? No, it's going to go up. Everything's going to go up. It went, um, it went up last July where we are. And then we signed our solar contract in September because I said, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah, that is it gets to be a lot. Um, mm -hmm. So looking back at your your Amazon purchases and your Lowe's purchases, we're going to same advice for both for two different categories. What are you buying at Lowe's? And how can you reduce that? Are you going to Lowe's to buy the toilet flapper repair kit for 20 bucks because your toilet flapper broke? That's Actually, an my, emergency. My husband has uh, has jury rigged that thing I in both of our toilets, I think three or four times. So we don't want to, we don't go to Lowe's to buy something like that. He uses zip ties, but we do go to Lowe's <laughs> for anything else we could need, you know, I mean, we built a, and we do everything, we do almost everything ourselves. So we built a, I don't know, 600 square foot patio all ourselves. And I budgeted everything and got everything um, delivered uh. in bulk and all of this stuff last year, but it was still, we kind of hoped it was going to be 2000. It ended up being, you know, three or 3,500. I think one of, I will identify one of my 
known uh, short, I don't want to say shortcomings, but weaknesses, thank you therapy for years, um, is that I am a perpetual optimist. And so I will always, uh, because I want to believe it, uh, say or believe that something is going to cost less than it actually is. I That's just yes. my nature. <laughs> yes. My husband is a perpetual optimist in that he thinks it will only take an hour. And no, it took 40 hours. You need to be uh, honest with your optimism. But I get it. I get it. Um, so we, I challenge you to the next time you have a planned build a planned repair as opposed to the toilet flap, which is an emergency repair. You go and the thing's always 20 bucks. It's not going to be on sale for three in six months. And it doesn't matter. You need your toilet to stop running because that's a multiple costs. So when you have a planned expense, go to Lowe's without your wallet, go there and say, okay, I need concrete. I need 40 pounds of concrete. A bag is 60 pounds and it costs 20 bucks. Great. Now I know that that's a $20 charge. Put that on the list. I need two by fours. They're all over the place. So guess at like go in and get the quote and then just add 10% for that because who knows what they're going to be. And if you save money, great. And tile, I know I'm going to need 120 square feet of tile. Well, this one's really pretty and it's $5 a square foot. This one's really like 90% of the the $5 a square foot in beautifulness, but it's a dollar a square foot. Go with that one because your life is not going to be four times as happy with the four times as expensive tile. So, you know, look and and then create an actual budget. Oh, I thought it was going to cost 2000. It's actually going to cost 3500. I'm going to now increase my budget for this to 3500 or I'm going to wait and see if I can get some things on sale. Yeah, and then goes on sale. I think. Um, I think then to go one step further is if it's going to cost thirty five hundred, and we have we budgeted for two thousand, we then need to wait until we have thirty five hundred to do it. I think that you know yes. it's ah oh, we can we can do it anyways. We'll pay it off next you know within the next few weeks we can do it. But you do that too many times and it doesn't end up. Then you out. wonder why? Where's my Where's my money? Because I, I, when you say, oh, it's going to cost $2,000, that's the price in your head. So when it costs $3,500, it doesn't register. You just continue to think it was $2,000. So, and I'm not saying that you're a bad person, Jenny. I do that exact same thing. <laughs> and, you know, we're, in general, we're really thrifty in terms of, especially in our house, we have a lot of things that we would like to change. Um, but we're waiting because the... The difference, and we did this calculation at some point, the difference between spending $10,000 on our floors to replace carpets that we absolutely loathe now uh, versus putting that into the market or getting it to work for us is a much bigger deal in 10 years than if, like, if we did it now, it it costs us a lot more than if we do it in 10 years. Um, and so we're choosing not to do those things. And when we do do those things, we're going to do them ourselves, uh, but yeah, the the daily, weekly, monthly spending, they're going to, I mean, just a couple days ago, we needed new sprinklers for our garden and it ended up being $120. And why, I, 
what happened to <laughs> I don't understand how it ended up being $120. And you look at the invoice and you say, oh, okay, I get it, but that's not what I thought it was going to be. But we need them, so move on. Yeah, yeah, just be, it's, it's really easy to be like, oh, it's only going to be 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I challenge you to attack this like you attacked your food budget. And, you know, whenever you have a, a planned project, Make sure that you have it in mind and in your budget for the actual costs and not just, you know, what you think it will cost. Because, I mean, everybody who's been there to Lowe's understands, you know, oh, it's going to be, I know how much it'll cost. It'll be about this much. And then you get to the checkout and you're like, how is this $400? Well, it all adds up. Absolutely. I think I think we've had a great discussion with with this so far. Do you have anything, any other key concepts you want us to um, go over before we wrap up? We've been kind of back and forth as to when we should start getting some multifamily properties. So um, just recently, we kind of decided that we would prioritize the house for prioritize paying off the house um, kind of for comfort and personal freedom reasons. But we have thought about getting into real estate sooner, like just in the next couple of years, our 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 savings uh, trajectory would allow for it. It's just where we put that savings. Um, and so the the thought behind paying the house off first and then doing real estate investment was really from a comfort and security perspective. Um, and that in those, you know, eight years before my husband, re- nine years before my husband retires, if we were to invest in real estate instead early, it wouldn't be doing a ton for us until later. Uh, And so from a security and freedom perspective, we kind of decided that that was, we would put that on the back burner, but I am curious what your perspective is on that. So my thought on this is that you are not comfortable with one mortgage. How are you going to get comfortable with two mortgages? Because not only is this going to add another mortgage payment to your budget, you, it will push back your ability to pay off your mortgage. I think having a conversation with your husband about, you know, where are we comfort level? Also, let's look at the eviction moratorium, which was just extended. How comfortable are you paying two mortgages if you have no income and from, from the property itself? So I hope that that never happens, but the reality is that that does happen. And right now you can't remove somebody. So I think it's more of a uh, mental security comfort discussion than a financial discussion. And if you do get to the point where you are okay with having an extra mortgage and pushing back your ability to pay off your primary mortgage, then I would start looking at the market and just see what's out there. That's a step you can take now. Start learning the market. A duplex goes for $100,000. It goes for $850,000. I don't know your market, so I'm not sure what prices are right now. But you know, what does that mortgage look like? Let's say it's an $850,000 mortgage. Does that look like, like, I don't even know what that is, $7,000 a month? Our market would be, for a duplex, would be somewhere between $150,000 and $220,000. Um, okay. And my, you know, what does that rent out for? But yeah, my, I mean, all of this started really our, our financial, 
the intentionality behind our financial position really started because my husband was listening to regular bigger pockets and got interested yeah. in real estate. But I think investing in real estate and rental properties is incongruent with paying down your mortgage early and how you're allocating your assets. Your strategy, you can do any of the above. You can, you can keep plowing through all the vast majority of your uh, accumulated wealth into retirement accounts and get this new, you know, end this state, wipe out your student loans and get a hundred thousand dollar job and game over most likely for, in terms of achieving the stated goal that you came in with, right? Where your husband has the option to retire. That will probably happen in three or four years. Almost certainly will happen by nine in, in nine years with your current trajectory. If you want to invest in real estate, you have to fundamentally change your asset allocation um, with this because you cannot do that with your current spending and invest in real estate in any regular basis right now. You're saving only a thousand or so a month on, on average with that outside of the retirement accounts. You will need to stop probably, you know, if you want to do that, you'd probably have to stop paying the extra principal. You'd probably have to stop contributing to some of those retirement accounts at some level so you can accumulate more cash and begin sustaining that investment approach. I'd be all for that, right? That's that's what I I do, um, or, or did, in, in, you know, for for a long time with this. So I, I I have I think that's a good approach. It just requires a, a different mindset shift um, in terms of how you're allocating your capital at the highest level with that. And at the if you if you have a thirty year outlook, you might well have a much stronger financial position at the end of that thirty years doing that. Um, than by doing your current approach, but I think that will you'll have to grapple with the the massive implications of where you are allocating your money right now in order to um, do that. I think that, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think that really, your perspective really validates the conversation that we had in terms of our comfort level and where we want to be. The biggest thing is for my husband not to feel stuck. And so that makes a lot of sense. Um, Doing real estate earlier would probably just make him feel more like he had to stay where he is and not have options um, even before he retires. So that makes a whole bunch of sense. Thank you. And then also look at, you know, what would the property rent for? If it's going to cost you $200,000 to buy, that's, what is that? Like a $1,500 mortgage payment, $1,000 a month mortgage payment. If you're going to, if it's $1,000 a month mortgage payment and you can rent it out for $1,100, that's not a good investment. If it's a thousand dollar mortgage payment and you could rent it out for $4,000, that would change my answer. So, you know, run the numbers based on actual numbers and see what sort of additional income you could generate from that. It could be that it's worth it to you to invest in real estate, maybe in a few years, maybe when your mortgage payment is down a little bit more. Um, but yeah, that. Uh, I think it's from your perspective, it's not so much a money conversation as a mental health and security conversation. That makes sense. Thank you. I think we've covered. Okay. <laughs> this This has been a lot of fun. I think that this has uh, value for multiple different listeners. Um, I hope that you also found value in it. It sounds like you did. I sure did. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. So your homework is to watch the... Mindy Method, biggerpockets.com slash Mindy Method. It's on our new YouTube channel. 
episode 120 with Michael Kitsis. Listen to that with your husband. And episode 153 with Bill Bengen. Also listen to that with your husband. Just to create a talking point because, you know, the whole poor the whole purpose of this is to, you know, make the best choices for your specific situation. If you have a partner, then you make those choices together. So I'm super excited for what you've got. You're you're doing great. You're the overall uh, wrap up is that you're doing an awesome job. Thank you. It helps to hear somebody else think that. (laughs) Okay, Jenny, it is now time for the famous four. Are you ready? I am. What is your favorite finance book? Uh, So these actually come from my husband because he's the reader. Um, But the one that really got us thinking about money was The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, Absolutely right off the top. But he also uh, told me a little book of common sense investing and Boglehead's Guide to Investing. We're also big for him. Uh, And I guess instrumental in getting us to where we are now. Awesome. I have not read the last two, um, but I love The Millionaire Next Door. We'll have to check out the other two. What was your biggest money mistake? Uh, I think living living above our means when we were both in college and my husband was in graduate school. We really, although we were a little later in life in that time, it was my second bachelor's degree in his graduate program. We just weren't thinking forward. We were really thinking in the now. So luckily at this point, about two years ago, we made up for all of that. But uh, if we hadn't, we would be in an even better position. That's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Um, I certainly was not perfect when I was in college. Spend every dime that came in. Mm -hmm. What is your best piece of advice for people who are just starting out? So one is looking even farther back in my I have two, I guess. Um, One is that it's okay not to go to college right away. I was very much, you know, I went to college for my first bachelor's degree. I'm now almost done with four degrees later uh, when I was 18, because that's what I was supposed to do. And I don't blame my parents or, you know, anything for that. But I really thought I knew what I wanted to do. And it took some life experience which I didn't have at 18, and I think a lot of people don't, to figure out what I really wanted down the road. So we really, even though both my husband and I are big um, education proponents of education, we don't want our kids to feel rushed or pressured into making a decision like that early. And then my other suggestion is really kind of what we learned from Millionaire Next Door initially is that spending a little bit extra now makes a huge difference later. Uh, So whether it's that $5 trip to Starbucks every day or even $50 more on a car payment because you want the premium version instead of the basic version, uh, it just makes such a huge difference when you look 10, 20, 30 years down the road and it's not worth it. You know, (laughs) we got a basic, we got a basic level car and we're perfectly happy with it. So well, love, love both those pieces of advice. Um, what is your favorite joke to tell at parties? So I have a lot, but I picked one. It's actually two jokes, but they're very much related. Um, what do you call a cow with no legs? I don't know. what. Gra- ground beef. Nice. And uh, <laughs> what do you call a cow with two legs? Patty. Lean beef. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Scott files those it. away for later. I have a lot. We could, you know, we could go on yeah. for a while. I used we to be milk a, the cow jokes for a long time. That's I right. used to be an adventure guide with groups of small children. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my goodness! You and Scott can have a joke off. Oh my goodness! There's so many. <laughs> okay, Jenny. This was a lot of fun. I had a great time talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us. Likewise. Uh, Thank you very much. Okay. We will talk to you soon. Scott, what I loved most about Jenny's story is that what I'm hearing her say over and over again is that she looked at a specific situation, ran the various scenarios and came up with the best course of action. And she's done this over several things. The solar lease with regards to her exorbitant electric expenses, just because she's over in the uh, colder area of the world. She needs to run electric heat. Um, I think the solar is going to be a great trade-off for that. Then uh, her food budget, she's really dialed in. I I really think that things like uh, home improvement spending at Lowe's and Amazon. In fact, I challenge everybody who's listening to look at what you've been spending on your Amazon account. Look at the amount you're spending and look at what you're actually buying. And did you really need those things? Is that like a leak in your budget? And can you plug that leak by canceling your Amazon Prime account and see what happens, see how fast you are, how quick you are to uh buy that hit that buy button when you have to pay for shipping which is a huge block for me and you know frankly that's kind of a brilliant thing that amazon did to oh we'll give you free shipping i mean how much is it a hundred and nineteen dollars a year or something like that you pay it once and then you've got free shipping for the year of course i spend more i save more free shipping costs than i would have than i paid the hundred and nineteen dollars but I also buy a lot more crap than I need. So uh, brilliant marketing idea on their part. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with that. I think you start with the budget and then as that's not working to control certain of the expenses, you got to do things like what Mindy suggests here in making it harder to have that money leak through in unproductive ways. How do you go to the store without your credit card? That was a great great tip from Mindy, because you can't spend without a credit card. You have to put together the plan for those kinds of things. And you're going to think twice about it with that stuff. So I, I think that's a that's a great, you know, I would say the order of operations is put together that budget and use it to drive your spending. And if it's not working and you need additional help, put in place those barriers to make it much more difficult for you to spend on those things if you want to take control of that spending, of course. I have a one more personal anecdote that I want to share before we get out of here, Scott. My husband and I paid cash for the house that we're in right now. And then we, because we needed to, we won the bid because we could close very quickly. And then we didn't want to have all that money tied up in our house. So we cashed out and refinanced in April of 2020. And since then we have paid approximately $12,000 in interest on our mortgage. But with the money that we have taken out of the equity of our home, we put it into the stock market, we have made $122,000 off of that invested money. And if we had strictly put it into VTSAX, we would have made about $95,000. But as regular listeners of this show know, my husband is a nerd about Tesla. So he threw some in there too. So we have a slightly higher, uh, slightly higher risk, slightly higher reward with putting it some of it into Tesla and some of it into 
the index funds. But that's just an example of what you can do when you with the money when you don't pay off your mortgage. Of course, if you're just going to spend that money on random stuff, then pay off your mortgage. Have it sit in your house instead of, you know, a car in the driveway. Like we heard from Steve earlier this week, Steve Adcock had a Corvette. That's not a good use of your money unless you already have so much that it doesn't matter. But at the time he didn't. Um, So that's, I just wanted to share that we have made some money off of it by not paying off our mortgage. No, I'm, I'm completely aligned. And I did the same thing fundamentally where I refinanced the rental properties that I've owned for several years, pulled a bunch of cash out and bought another rental property with that. I try to maintain a good capital reserve and a a strong cash position. I try to maintain strong cash flow on that portfolio. But just like Mindy, I cash out refinanced against my real estate to buy more assets instead of paying down low interest rate debt. Yeah, I that's just the choice that I make when I was listening to Jenny talk about what she and her husband have come up with. It's more of a mental stability, security, I don't have to worry about having debt position, which is really where the the argument comes in from, you know, should I have a mortgage? Should I not? So I understand what they're going through. And I think it just gives them something else to talk about. You know, personal finance is personal, like I keep saying all the time. Uh, so... I have a favor to ask of our listeners. If you are listening to this episode, you have made it all the way to the end. Thank you so much for listening. Do you know somebody in your life that could use this information or information from any one of our past episodes? I was recently at a podcast conference and they say the number one way that people learn about new podcasts is from introductions by family and friends. So I would love for you to share this episode with a family member or a friend if you think they could learn from this or your favorite episode, I keep recommending episode 120 from Michael Kitsis because it's so good. Oh my goodness. He's so good. 153 with Bill Bangan, like I mentioned in this show, uh, 157, the money date. If you know somebody who wants to be financially independent, but their spouse is not, maybe they could listen to episode 157 of the bigger pockets money podcast, where Scott and I talk about how to have a money date with your spouse or partner. You don't have to be married. Um, and if you would like us to review your finances on this show, please fill out the form at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. Okay. All of that. Thank you again for listening so much. We really appreciate you. Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 228 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen saying, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals 
enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.